and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Rosemary Giles. And I'm Anna Moyer. And we're here today with Ryan McLaughlin. Thank you for being here, Ryan. Well, thanks for having me, guys. No problem. So why don't we get started? Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your research? Uh, yeah, so I first got started in history when I was a kid. Then, you know, my dad and my uncle were uh, both huge history buffs. And so I've always been involved with history. Books have always been around the house, discussions at the dinner table. Um, and then when I came to Western, I decided that, you know, this could actually turn into a career. This could be more than just a bit of a hobby of mine. And uh, as I was going through it, I discovered the Falkland Islands and I thought, oh, this is really cool. I want to write about this. And then every course I took, I wasn't able to because everything had some other focus and then I could never actually talk about them. Uh, so then I decided as I was applying for my master's um, that no matter what was going to happen, it was going to be on the Falkland Islands. And then I, as time progressed, I decided that they would be on the Falklands War. Um, and I actually... Uh, preparing for the interview today, I was thinking that, well, where, where did the Falkland Islands come from? And I recalled as a kid, um, my brother was an Argentina fan during the World Cup and would always wear an Argentina jersey and uh, always, even, I don't know where he got it, but a big Argentina flag. Um, I don't know where he got this obsession with Argentina was, but certain older family members would always make some sort of uh, comment of, you know, we went to war with them. And then kind of leave it at that. And I'm just sitting there confused and, okay, where is this coming from? So I, I, for some odd reason, it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, uh, Argentina and Britain had fought over these random islands that I've never heard of. And then uh, and now I'm focusing on it for my master's. So what would you find like, interesting or unique about the islands? Like what drew you to that research? What drew, actually what drew me to the islands is that no one knows about them. And I, and I found it even more intriguing as I've started TAing uh, in the master's program that I go and tell my students, okay, I'm, I focus on the Falklands War and you just have an entire classroom of people confused that no one knows what this war is and no one knows where these islands are. Um, the Falklands are a small archipelago in the South Atlantic that are roughly, uh, 300 miles from the nearest point in the South American mainland off Argentina mm -hmm. and actually 8,000 miles from uh, the United Kingdom. So they're these small islands that are roughly about the half the size of Wales or um, for a Canadian uh, comparison, they're 0.12% the size of Canada. So they're these microscopic islands that are uh, in the middle of the South Atlantic that no one really knows about. Um, but then the second part of that would be uh, that the wars fought in the 1980s and the Falkland Islands are a dependency of the uh, well once what once was the British Empire so it's this odd sort of colonial war in the in a very post-colonial world where no one especially today no one wants to talk about you know that oh the, these islands exist and technically they're still a colony of Great Britain that you know just in 1981 they changed the name from colony to, de to de dependency that, you know, that makes it all better or makes it different. That, you know, it's it's this weird sort of modern colonial war that once you figure out where these islands actually are, you have to actually wrap your head around the concept. 
So then I guess your research is very heavily focused on the Falklands War aspect of kind of the Falkland Islands. Do you mind just telling us a little bit more about the Falklands War? Like, how did it start? How long did it last? I kind of uh, Yes. Uh, so the Falklands were first, and it actually, it, it takes a large history to go and understand a very, a very short war. Uh, so in 1690, uh, Captain John Strong, who was a uh, British naval officer, went in, uh, at least in, as far as the British are concerned, he discovered the islands. Um, he saw them in 1690, left it alone, and just sailed away, practically returned home and said, hey, there's these islands sitting there. No one really cared. It wasn't until 1764, the French showed up, uh, learning about it from the British, and they actually set up a small colony. Um, the British returned in 1765 with their own colony, and then later on, Spanish came so, you know, during this whole um, uh, high noon of empire that everyone's trying to get any island they can find anywhere in the world, because you never know when it's going to be strategic or important for some sort of material. Um, so everyone's going and uh, fighting over different islands. Um, but as time goes on, each power with, uh, withdrew from the islands. Uh, Britain withdrew during the American War of Independence because they weren't able to keep people on this small island in the middle of the South Atlantic when they have, uh, they're losing this uh, famous colony that everyone knows about, that this big war is going on. So they remove it. And then eventually in 1811, everyone's gone. The islands are now barren. Everyone's left because uh, there's really nothing going on down there. Um, but around 1811, that's when Argentina uh, becomes their own nation. They go and uh, gain independence in 1810 from uh, the Spanish empire. And they decide that all the Spanish claims in the region should actually be theirs because they are their own nation. Um, and one of those is the Falkland Islands. So in the 1820s, they show up and say, these are our islands now. But because in the 1860, I mean, 1760s, Britain had claimed them as theirs and claimed them for King George III, which is kind of in 1700s was like the end all be all that they're now the kings, so you can't touch them. So they went down and actually decided that, no, we're going to have a full garrison here, that we're going to have troops here. We're going to actually build a full uh, permanent settlement. So from the 1830s onwards, um, they were British, 100 uh, percent British settlers were brought in. Um, and I should say that originally there were no people living on the islands. They were just like home to penguins and other wildlife like that. So, you know, there's no people, there's no indigenous group there that, you know, there was some contest over. So uh, the British show up and now it's theirs. But the entire time Argentina maintains claims. And in the 1980s, late 70s, early 1980s, a um, what many would describe as a fascist government comes in, that they're very, um, very determined to be very fascist, fascist junta, as many describe it. And um, they decide that the best way that we're going to get everyone in Argentina to really like us and not be worried about any issues we're having governing the country is by going and reclaiming uh, the Falkland Islands for us. And everyone's going to be really happy. It's going to be a great national moment. So on uh, the 2nd of April, 1982, they invade the Falkland Islands. Um, and in Britain at that time, that's in, uh, the start of Margaret Thatcher's conservative government that, you know, uh, there's a reason why they call her the Iron Lady, that, you know, she decides that, no, we're not going to allow you to just take our islands. Um, and, the, and I think the impetus is not that the islands 
are British themselves, but the people who live on there are British. And as I said, there's no native population. So everyone who actually showed up and started living there can trace their roots back to England, Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland. So it's very much, um, these are British citizens and we're going to go defend them. The war starts in the end of April when uh, the British task force uh, arrives, which uh, has over a hundred ships, um, roughly about a hundred different aircrafts, uh, thousands of men. And they go and they capture South Georgia, which is another dependency, a small island of the Falkland Islands. And then it finally concludes on the 14th of June, 1982, when uh, they recapture Port Stanley, the capital of the Falkland Islands. So it's very much um, just the climax of claims between two countries over a small set of islands, um, which I think certainly leads to a reason why some people um, have such interests or are confused by the war that, you know, it, it, it does seem odd in our modern post-colonial world. So I know that um, the TV show The Crown did an episode about the Falkland War and they kind of hinted that there was some like personal aspects to Margaret Thatcher's life that made her want to go to war. Could you speak to that at all? Uh, yes. Um, I. Unfortunately, I can't say too much about The Crown because I haven't seen the fourth series yet, um, but I am uh, looking forward to that because and certainly it is, uh, it is always fun to go and see your research somehow played on the big screen. Um, but yes, Margaret Thatcher was very much, um, uh, we need to build Britain back up because in the 1960s and 70s, there was a decline um, and there's very much a decline in the nationalism or um, the, uh, the pride in Britain, because following the Second World War, which is kind of the high noon for the British Empire, because it's kind of the last go of it, that uh, uh, after that, when the British are fighting, whether it be in uh, South Africa around Rhodesia um, or uh, in the Suez or anywhere else, um, you don't have an Indian contingent or a West Indian contingent. It's, it's just the British are going and fighting there. They might be supported by Canadians, but it's the Canadians. It's not, oh, here comes more British troops. It just happens that they're Canadians, more colonial soldiers. That the Second World War sees that there's more of nationalism in these different regions. So India gains independence in the late 1940s, uh, Jamaica in 1962, Rhodesia uh, becomes Zimbabwe in the 70s. So you really see the falling apart of this nation that, you know, they're so proud that, and that's not to say that, you know, there's obvious issues with empire building and that, and what there really isn't time to get into that. But um, you see that this nation that used to once have a quarter of the globe uh, under their control is now a small naked little island uh, just off the coast of France. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad when you think about it, you know, in that, in that uh, way. But anyway, so Margaret Thatcher really comes in at a point where um, you can see that the nation is um, just not what it once used to be. So she's very much, okay, we need to build up the economy again. We need to go and build all of our nation back up. But for the military, she was a huge uh, uh, admirer of Winston Churchill. So it was very much, and you can see the sort of parallels that, because uh, she grew up during the Second World War, going and seeing how people really saw Churchill as this great figure and that, you know, they'd go and do anything that he really said. And so I think that certainly plays off of it a bit, that 
Um, she is like, there's no one to compare to Winston Churchill. She's no Winston Churchill, but in that context, she's the closest there probably was that we're not going to go and negotiate. You went and illegally invaded our island, so we're going to go and send a task force. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, so I think that probably plays part of it. Um, but as far as I know from the Crown, there's a lot of uh, a relationship between Her Majesty and Margaret Thatcher, which uh, it does ring true a lot of the time as well. So. So obviously this is kind of an extremely complex history. I think kudos to you for kind of, um, you know, summarizing that 400 year lead up there in, in a short period of time. That was really good. Um, but since it's such a complex, his, complex history and there's obviously so much going on, what exactly is your research trying to uncover or prove about the Falklands War or about the aftermath of the war? Um, well, what I look at, and I've been heavily influenced by uh, my supervisor, Dr. Jonathan Vance, um, he wrote a Titanic work in uh, the late 1990s uh, called Death So Noble, Memory, Meaning, and the First World War, um, which looks at the social memory of the First World War, how people are going to commemorate it, how we remember it, um, monuments, statues, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, what is that like with the Falklands and you know I kind of was thinking about it in the back of my head and then it actually um, started kind of on a whim I was buying a bunch of books from an online used bookstore and I found a postcard on there that was from the Falklands War that it was a limited edition of 500 and I thought oh that's kind of cool that I'm going to be one person of possibly 500 even if all 500 exist still that will have this postcard that's kind of interesting uh, sit that on my desk and I thought nothing of it and then I ended up falling into the trap that is uh, eBay and Amazon. And I started looking at, oh, there's other postcards. There's, you know, there's cups and stamps and books and everything you can think of. And then I started building up my own collection, which currently sits at uh, 385 items of, of Falklands related materials. Um, and I realized that the main thing, because in the Department of History, um, the main thing that makes you do a thesis is that it's original work, that it's, you know, what do you want to really build in this? Like, okay, look at all the literature, what's missing? What can you add? Which is super intimidating when, you know, when you're asked that, then, okay, what do you want to add? Like me? Like, how am I comparing to this guy, you know, or, or this person who wrote 12 books? But anyways, um, I realized that this is something that no one's talked about. People have talked about it in an imperial sense that this is an imperial war, which I completely agree with. But I want to see how do people remember it in a sort of empire related nostalgia that because, um, you know, I think Britain, only British people would go and create uh, commemorative thimbles uh, in China or uh, teaspoons. Uh, to commemorate a war. Um, that's a very British thing. But why in the 1980s? It makes sense if you were to say that that happened after the First World War or the Boer War, even going further back. But in 1982, it, it even for me, after reading all this, it still seemed odd. So that's kind of where I wanted to go a bit different with it. What would you say the, uh, the public opinion is like about the Falklands War in the last couple decades? Has it evolved at all? Has it started to disappear? Yes and no. Uh, it's, it's always been there, but it's never been at the 
tight as it was in the 1980s. Uh, it's, it's known as the forgotten war as a reason that those who have some sort of personal connection or intimate relation to it are always going to remember it. And it seems kind of obvious the family and friends of those who actually serve there are going to know that because they have that connection. Um, but I think people growing up in the 80s um, are going to have something that, okay, top five things that interesting things that happened in my lifetime someone's probably going to say, oh, the Falklands War, that was something that, you know, it was weird watching that on the news that that happened. But as time has gone on, uh, it hasn't really uh, stood the test of time, which I think is kind of sad in a way that, you know, it's, uh, this is actually a monumental event that, you know, it only took uh, three months to actually, uh, for a war to progress, start to finish. But it is a huge event in the actual idea that of an imperial war in the 1980s. Um, but I also think as time has gone on, a general public opinion of the military in that has also changed that in the 1980s, even though it's uh, uh, quite a while after the Second World War, there's still a similar opinion to it that, you know, uh, reading newspapers from that time, it's not as PC as they are today going and saying that, oh, uh, British soldiers are fighting Argentine soldiers. It's very much, how are our boys doing against the RGs? That, you know, using a phrase like that, instead of saying, well, Argentine troops were doing this. It's very much in the mentality of uh, the British Empire of uh, Winston Churchill's Second World War sort of stuff. So I think as time has gone on with like the Gulf War and then the wars in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran, that, you know, it's, it's gone very much that this is a war that we shouldn't be involved in. And then I think sadly that has gone and influenced how we view war more generally, looking back and saying like, well, if we shouldn't go and fight war, then therefore we shouldn't fight this war, but how are we going to go and kind of look at that? So um, I can't say too much on really a current opinion, but next year is the 40th anniversary of the war so I am curious to see how people kind of react because uh, for the 25th and uh, 35th anniversaries, there certainly, um, I know that there was some keychains and tea towels, which is again, a very British thing to do, commemorating the anniversary. And I'm curious to see if the 40th anniversary, because it is a bigger number, if it's going to be a bigger uh, celebration, uh, I guess you could say. Um, and then I guess uh, the 50th anniversary moving forward, is that going to be a big celebration? Uh, sadly, I can't say. I'm really curious about this collection of materials that you're acquiring. Um, what are your plans for these once you're you're done with them for your thesis? And then a second part, um, are you planning to add more to the collection? Like, do you feel like your collection is complete? Like, do you have enough to use for your thesis? I will start by answering the second uh, part of your question. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's there's never a limit to how much you can buy or how much you can have. Um, I'm not going to lie, I do check eBay at least once a day just to see if there's any, any new listings or anything else going on um, and always checking prices. Okay, this person's selling this for this much. Can I get it cheaper at all? What's going on? Um, so I'm always looking to add more to it. Um, space as of right now isn't an issue. Um, I'm sure it will be at some point, but uh, as of right now, space is okay. I, I enjoy doing it. So it's one of those that if, as long as I can keep affording it, I will keep doing that. 
Um, as for my plans with it, I do hope by the 40th anniversary, that's my goal. Um, so roughly uh, just less than a year from now, I'm hoping to go and build a website. I have uh, friends and family helping me a little bit with uh, different research into different items. Um, I've made sure that those are very specific items that I know I will not use in my thesis, just so then you know they can do their own thing, I do my thing, um, so then it doesn't interfere at all. I'm hoping that I will be able to build a uh, very nice online digitized collection that which everything will be free that you can see images of everything um, or scans of uh, different books and stuff and then have information of who created it, when was it created, uh, perhaps even like how much was it sold for, a bit of information on what it, what it says, what it's uh, discussing, um, which the hope is to be similar to a website called uh, Wartime Canada, which is actually run by my supervisor, Dr. Vance. That is the same thing for the First World War that I thought this would be a great way to be able to do this. Um, but as for moving forward, once that is finally done, I'm hoping to uh, introduce it to different veterans groups that uh, are linked with uh, Falklands veterans and maybe uh, moving it to where people in the UK know about this and that, you know, they're actually discussing this at different uh, events and that and that uh, veterans themselves are actually communicating with me or making comments on stuff and maybe sharing their stories as well. Um, because as I said before, being known as the Forgotten War, um, part of me as, and I think, you know, you get that sometimes in grad school, well, they're allowing me to write a thesis. How can I change the world? How can I do everything? And, you know, part of me is like, well, why, why can't we change this from the Forgotten War to uh, the never forgotten war or something like that. Um, you wanted to talk maybe to some veterans. Could you talk to what the experience of the war was like for the people fighting it and also potentially the people who are living at the Falklands at that time? Yeah, it's, uh, well, first the people of the Falkland Islands living there. Uh, it's very hard to imagine because it wasn't, it hasn't been until the Second World War that um, people have been living under some sort of um, uh, fascist uh, government that comes in and says, okay, now you're part of us. Um, it's very reminiscent of like uh, Nazi France or Poland that, you know, these group, this group comes in and says, okay, now you're us. I know that uh, they were changing street signs to be in Spanish when, as I said, that it's a British population, so they speak English. Everything's in English. It's very much a small Practically, Stanley's a small British town, um, but everything is very much uh, Spanish at that point. Everything's supposed to be Argentine. Um, but it's also a horrible um, existence living there during that time because they don't know what is going on always because uh, there are some sparse settlements that people actually go and uh, every um, week or so they'll go and get uh, part of their education that the teacher actually has to travel across the islands, but they only do it once a week. So, you know, some of these groups are very isolated, but um, I think the perfect example for life under Argentine rule and the Falklands is the post office was used as practically a massive lavatory uh, for the Argentine troops that they didn't go and build proper facilities themselves. So they said, oh, look, we'll just use the post office. Um, and I'm not just saying like the post office bathroom, I mean the entire post office. So you, it's kind of, mm -hmm. um, to quote a, a British newscaster from the BBC at that time, 
that's the Argentine way of uh, welcoming uh, the Falklands into the Argentine Empire. That you know, it's it's not a, a very uh, it's not the sort of we're showing up, we're helping you. Now you're part of us. You know, you're welcome. Um, but as for those who fought there, um, there is a uh, as for PTSD. I don't have the numbers or statistics at all, but it is uh, known that the Falklands is actually probably one of the worst for PTSD or um, combat soldier suicides, as far as I'm aware. Um, and that's partially because it's the forgotten war that it doesn't get talked about very much. Um, and of course, PTSD and that sort of stuff doesn't get talked about very much at all. But um, as for just the average soldier, it is a very short campaign that they're there for the three months. And certainly some of them do get in the thick of it. And, you know, there are those different uh, traumatizing uh, incidents, but a great many people do come out fairly uh, uh, free of those. Um, and I think that's partially because of the time uh, that, you know, it's only, uh, it's less than three months that um, there isn't that much uh, time to really get into the thick of it. So obviously we talked about the PTSD element and how that affected people. Were there other any, or sorry, any other ramifications from this? Like, was there a lot of um, like explosives or anything like that used? Like how, what was that like other than just the soldiers? Uh, yes, I think the number one thing, and it's actually um, uh, part of a paper I'm writing separate of this. Um, and I, as far as I'm concerned, the number one thing, lasting element of it is actually the existence of landmines and other unexploded ordnance on the island. Because when the um, Argentines first occupied it, they thought, well, this will be easy. Britain will say, we don't want to fight. And then we've won, that we don't have to worry about it. And then Britain decides that they're sending a task force and they quickly say, you know what, let's put as many landmines as we can um, around uh, beach areas and that, and then we're going to stop them. Um, but the issue is after the war, they're trying to clean it up once and, and obviously that didn't slow down the British in, uh, at all, um, but they're trying to clean it up and the actual uh, record keeping wasn't very good at all. So landmines are actually being uh, planted on top of other landmines that other Argentines didn't know they already planned it. They're very unorganized, very unsafe at all. Um, and then sadly what happened was after three or four uh, British servicemen trying to clear the mines, um, uh, lost limbs um, by mistakenly standing on them. They decided that, you know what, we're just going to clear the areas around settlements and then leave the rest. Um, but it wasn't until last uh, September, October, November, that area, that they officially declared the islands mine free. So there is a large amount of time, almost 40 years, where people weren't able to go certain places. Uh, wildlife, on the other hand, certainly and the penguins significantly were able to live on their own uh, unaffected by people, but you know it's it's hard to say what'll happen moving forward because COVID has actually blocked uh, tourism in that. So um, now that the the islands are mine free, um, we'll actually get to see what the islands get to be like um, post and Falklands War forty years plus. Well, that is all the time that we have today. Um, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Rosemary, and my co-host was Anna. We've been speaking with Ryan McLaughlin. This episode was produced by Ariel Frame. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we're on uh, Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at GradCast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.